When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today it's me, Jeff, and I'm with Aaron and Greg, and today we're talking about minimizing trail damage on the mountain bike trail. So I wanted to start off asking you guys, what is your pet peeve when it comes to trail damage caused by mountain bikers? Man, there's a lot, but probably the biggest one for me is people riding around puddles instead of through them. You can see this really clearly, how it really widens the trail. And it's mountain biking. You're going to get dirty. Just ride through the middle of it. It's it's much better for the trail long term. My number one pet peeve is probably people who feel like they have to get a ride in. And it has to be like on trail when they and they go when it's just not conducive to riding. Let's say we're in a freeze-thaw cycle and they're like, I have to ride. And they ride in the afternoon when it's super nasty. It's like... You could have ridden this morning and caused zero damage, but you chose to ride in the afternoon and now you cause something that we have to go back in with McLeods and Pulaski's and fix. So just time your rides for when you're not going to cause trail damage. Yeah, that's a good one. I would say mine is litter on the trail. That's like the easiest thing to avoid. I mean, if you open up a cliff bar, shove the wrapper back in your pack. You know, you had room for the bar, so you definitely have room for the wrapper. To me, there's just no excuse for dropping trash on the trail. So, Greg, you mentioned riding wet trails. I mean, it really depends on the the trail surface. For instance, a trail like Blankets Creek here in the metro Atlanta area, it's pretty sandy, and a lot of the trail is low. It's it's right by Lake Alatoona, I guess. So it's just not a good choice to ride when it's wet. There's areas that are really boggy. And Blankets Creek is actually very good about closing the trails when it's wet. If there's a lot of clay in the soil, which we, we do have in certain trails here, like Bull Mountain, for instance, it's going to be tough to ride in. Riding in wet clay is one of, one of the hardest things you can do. It's really heavy. It sticks to everything on your bike. So not only is it going to be terrible for the trail itself, it's going to be really bad for your bike. And then if the trail's really rocky, some of the stuff we have up in North Georgia around Dalton, sections of the Pinhoti Trail where the the trail is mostly rock, that obviously is not going to hold any water. So it's, you know, there's not really dirt there to turn into mud. So those are trails that are better to ride in the rain. I would say in general, trail systems that are in the actual mountains tend to drain better than you know, some of the smaller trail systems that are closer to the city. One thing I would add to that, and this might seem counterintuitive, but how often a trail is wet or how much rain area gets can sometimes dictate, you know, whether it's okay to ride the trail. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest, the trails are built to withstand rain and wet conditions because that's what you have like most of the time. And generally speaking, people are out there to maintain the trails because of that. That's just sort of a known factor that people are going to be riding when wet because that's the only thing that you have to deal with. Now, on the flip side, if you're going to Moab and it dumps rain for a week, 
don't go ride the trail because that's like going to be the one day of the year that it's like wet and you can cause damage. It's like the other 364 days of the year, it's going to be bone dry. It's like wait 10 hours and it's going to be dry, you know? So sometimes like where you are and like how much moisture an area gets over the course of like the year can dictate whether or not you should ride it. Yeah. And I'll add that a lot of times it depends on how frequently the trail is used. So a place like Blankets Creek, if they were to open the trail and have a normal, you know, Saturday crowd out at the trail after a rain, it would completely destroy the trails. There are certain trails where a single rider can totally trash the trail forever. I mean, there's places where, like Aaron was saying, like particularly with a lot of clay and stuff like that, or like Greg said in Moab, where it doesn't rain a lot. And so if you ride through some clay and you've got like a two inch deep rut, that's not going anywhere because it's not going to rain again for a while. And that, that soil is like frozen in place like that. So even one person can do a lot of damage to a trail with just one ride. That's why you can still see dinosaur tracks in Moab, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, those dinosaur jerks, they screwed it all up. Dinosaurs are always trashing the trails. (laughs) (laughs) That's be like millions of years from now, the, Archaeologists be like, what are these things going down the trails? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, w- I wanted to mention this as well. I know Greg said this was his pet peeve. The freeze-thaw conditions, I think, are probably even worse than riding a wet trail because, you know, that stuff does, it freezes into place. So if you ride when it's mushy and when it's in the thaw stage of that and then that freezes over, you get some really nasty ruts. And I actually crashed really bad at the snake creek gap a few years ago in a frozen rut that you know only looked to be a few inches deep but it caught my front tire and threw me to the ground hard because it was a rock solid frozen rut so i would say definitely freeze thaw is a a major concern too like i actually just saw we have some freeze thaw conditions going on in in georgia right now so a lot of our local trails are closed because of that yeah the problem is it's like you know, if you hit it right, it can just be absolutely sublime riding. Riding frozen yeah. dirt is like friggin' awesome, you know? It is. You can but haul you like ass. miss it by like two degrees and you're like screwed. It's a very, very fine line. And the problem with a lot of like forest service trails, like where I used to live in North Georgia and even, you know, everything around here, nothing around here in Colorado closes. It just is not good to ride at certain points of the day. Right. Yeah. That, that's where the local knowledge comes into play, right? For sure. Well, so we've had this question before, and I believe we've addressed it maybe in the past, but how do you know when trails are too wet to ride? Like, what's your gauge for determining once you're out at the trail and you're ready to ride, how do you know that you're not causing damage? I would say if you're leaving a mark on the trail, it's too wet. But of course, like we've been saying, use common sense. If there's one small puddle and you're leaving a mark in that one puddle, that doesn't mean the entire trail is too wet to ride. Who knows that Paul could be there all the time. Use your common sense. If you're like grinding up a hill and you're like leaving a rut the whole way behind you, probably not a good call to be riding at that point in time. Yeah, but there are, I guess, different levels of that, right? So if I can see like my tire tread in the mud, some people would call that tacky conditions, right? Is it okay to ride when trails are tacky? Yeah, that's the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if you're, I think, again, I think it goes back to common sense. I think you know you know deep down when you're riding if it's too wet to ride. Like Greg said, if you're chugging along 
and you're spinning out and you're leaving a three or four inch deep rut in the trail behind you, it's too wet to ride. And if it's going on and on, it's not just isolated to one place in the trail and you're tearing up the whole thing. It's going to be pretty obvious that you shouldn't be out there. Yeah. Is there a percentage of the trail? I mean, Greg mentioned like puddles. So is there a percentage where you guys say like, well, there are a few wet sections or 10% of the trail is wet and the rest of it is, is good. But I think people want something a little more quantifiable. Well, the problem is that, you know, people always try to quantify things, right? Like that's what like say IMBA tries to do and like local advocacy groups try to do, but then they end up setting up these arbitrary rules, you know, that don't always apply. And if anything, I'm anti-rule. So I think, you know, again, common sense is the name of the game. But part of it depends, like, on the specific trail. So, like, let's take a trail that's built by mountain bikers for mountain bikers, okay? Like, should drain really well, should be purpose-designed, and it shouldn't hold water for a long period of time. That's, like, the ideal. But, you know, you guys both rode with me on Agate Creek last year, and that is primarily an old-school forest service trail that's open to motorcycle traffic probably gets more motorcycle traffic than mountain bike traffic. And as a result, there are deep holes that have formed in the trail. And it can be a long time after rain, and those holes will just hold water because of the consistency of the trail. And ultimately, it's a right now, the trail is not built very well, and it's eroding at a rapid rate, you know, which isn't an ideal situation. But, like, if you want to go ride it, I wouldn't feel bad for, you know, we, we were totally covered in mud by the end of it. But that didn't even mean the trail was like muddy. It was just like those massive mud holes from getting rutted out by motos. So it's just constantly a sliding scale depending on who uses a trail, how it's used, how it's built, whether or not it's built well. Yeah. Yeah. So it is situational to some degree. So what, what do you guys do when you decide that a trail is just too wet? What do you do instead? Well, there's a lot of different stuff you can do. If you want to ride, obviously you can ride on the road. You can ride gravel roads. That's another option. I know I've done that before in the past where it's been too wet, you know, gone up to North Georgia and just hit the forest service roads for a nice long ride. And it's actually a really nice change of pace. And obviously it's something I'm not going to drive to do all the time, but it is nice to get out on the road bike or get out on the cross bike in a different part of the state than just riding around the city. You can ride on a trainer indoors if if you really want to ride, but maybe the trails are too wet and it's raining. It's not. It's just kind of crappy outside. I like to work on my bikes if it's if it's raining. I like to spend some time down in the shop and get some stuff dialed in. And you can also spend that time working on the trails if you really want to be outside. You can get out there and maybe fix some damage or clear some debris or something like that, you know, pick up, pick up garbage or, or do anything, clear limbs, you know, just give back to the trails that you ride. So when I lived in Georgia, I did exactly what Aaron did. But the interesting thing after moving out here to Colorado is I found there's always somewhere you can ride off road and the conditions are going to be good. Like the number of days where I can't get outside and do anything is literally zero, but you have to pick your location very well. So if I roll up to a trail that's wet, I can usually drive to a different area that's going to be dry. So if it's wet up in the mountains, it'll probably be dry down in the desert. If it's wet down in the valley or down in the desert, generally you have snow to ride up in the mountains. So if you have a fat bike, you're still good to go. You're not causing any damage. If you have a wide enough selection of bikes and can hit a 
wide enough range of elevations, generally there's going to be something to ride. But if you can't, on the one or two days a year you can't do that, hitting the road bike or even going for a run are both good options too. Let's talk about some other things that cause trail damage. Skidding. So apparently it's cool to skid because people do that <laughs> in mountain bike videos and everybody loves a good shot of some brown pal. So what do you guys have to say about skidding on the trail? Okay. Well, to be honest, you know, let's be very upfront. Skidding is fun. I remember <laughs> I had a Schwinn Stingray back in the day and I used to love locking up that coaster brake and laying some dope skids down the cul-de-sac. But uh, obviously that was on the on the road and not on the trail. It's fun. It looks cool. But it's terrible for the trail. It doesn't help our image, I would say. It kind of just adds to this whole notion that mountain biking is just a bunch of Red Bull chugging bros ripping up the trails. And that's that's not good for access. You know, that's not good for dealing with other user groups when that's the image that's portrayed. And a lot of times you have to you have to keep in mind that these movies and these photo shoots where people are just blowing up these berms, either they're going to repair the trail afterwards or they built that specific turn for this shot. That That's what they were trying to achieve. And so they'll actually, maybe they'll... F- take some shovels of dirt and throw it in the middle of the berm so when they hit it it'll you know everything goes flying so you know it's it's a staged kind of thing so that's what you have to keep in mind and while it may look cool i think it's something we need to that the mountain bike industry kind of needs to move away from as part of their their overall marketing i agree it's sort of like not portraying real life you know because most riders aren't out there doing that, but then you see it in the movies and you're like, whoa, I should be skidding too, you know? <laughs> um, we talk about, you know, when we talk about advocacy stuff, we discuss how low impact mountain bikes are, like how they're similar to hikers, less than horses and stuff like that. But if you start throwing down skids, that equation goes out of the window. You know, if you're dragging your tire down like a mountainside, that's radically different than riding down it in a controlled manner. Some people think skidding also is the fastest way to stop, but it's important to know that that's just not the case. Somebody who is much more well-versed in physics could explain this better, but essentially, if you're locking up your tire to skid and you, and your, your goal is to stop and you're not just like slashing a berm, if your goal is to stop, when you lock up your tire, your tire stops spinning, but your bike keeps moving down the trail. The way to stop your bike is to slow the, speed, the spin of your tires. But when you lock it up, you're not slowing your bike nearly as fast as you could if you brought your wheel to a stop, a slow stop, without having the rear tire break out of traction. Right. So, That's the thing. You don't want to lose traction. Exactly. Then you, then so you lose control. Traction while you're stopping, you're going to maintain control and you're actually going to stop faster than if you skid. So, right. That's why cars have anti lock brakes. So perfect. When you slam on the brakes in the car, if you. It used to be that the wheels would lock up and you would skid uncontrollably. And now you have anti-lock brakes on your car that pulse and they bring you to a controlled stop because that's that's what it's about. And also I would kind of add to what you mentioned. If you're, if you're grabbing the brake and skidding around a turn, chances are, A, that's not the fastest way around the corner. And B, these guys that are doing it in the videos, they're not blowing up these berms and ripping these turns by grabbing their brake. They're just doing it out of just sheer force. You know, they're snapping the bike around 
the corners so hard that they're spraying dirt. It's not locking it up. So if you're locking up your rear brake to skid around a, a turn because you, you saw somebody do it in a video, well, you're doing it wrong. I'm sorry. That's, that's <laughs> actually very true. And so next time you're watching a video and you see somebody do this, look for their rear tire. If their rear tire is spraying dirt and it's still spinning, that is a truly skilled rider. But right. if their tire stops moving and starts spraying dirt, that's somebody who actually isn't that great of a rider and is just trying to look cool for the video. So next time you're watching a video, you can start picking out the people who are truly talented by how they corner. Yeah, watch, watch the rear tire and, and watch the brakes. Look, look, look for their fingers and see if they're grabbing that rear brake. Okay, so another thing that mountain bikers do to damage trails is creating alternate lines. Aaron talked about that, you know, riding around puddles, but a lot of beginner riders do it as well because they see an obstacle and they either think, A, you know, this is just too hard, or B, they think, well, you know, there's a tree over the trail and that shouldn't be there, so I'm going to, you know, make a path around it. Is it ever okay to create those alternate lines? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with Greg. No, I would say there are some caveats to that maybe. Uh, for instance, with a fallen tree, it kind of depends on the trail and the size of the tree itself. And one thing I would say is if you can clear the tree yourself, do it. Stop, get off your bike, push the tree out of the way if you can. We were riding in Pisgah a couple weeks ago around New Year's and we had probably a dozen or more of us on a ride and there was a big big tree that had fallen across the trail but you know what we had a dozen people there so we picked up the tree and pushed it down the mountain and cleared the trail for everybody else so that allowed people not to have to create an alternate line and if the tree is too big to move or if it's in a really remote area just crawl under it or over it you know there's and there also just may not be a way to create an alternate line. You may just have to stop. For instance, if a tree falls across a bench cut section of trail in a hillside, there's not going to be a, a clear path to route around that tree. It's pretty much going to be people crawling over it or under it until somebody can either get out there with a chainsaw to take care of it, or if it's really remote, it may be that way essentially forever until the tree rots away. My experience, horses and motorcycles are actually way worse at creating alternate lines around down trees because they can't just pick up their horse and haul it over the tree. <laughs> so speaking of Bull Mountain, as we've been all day today, lots of alternate lines tend to form around trees there because the horses have no other option. Simply as mountain bikers, that's one way we can be better is just by crossing the trees that are in the trail. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeff, you also mentioned tough obstacles. I would say that one is a big no for me. If the original trail builders didn't include an alternate line around an obstacle and you can't ride it, get off your bike and walk. There's no shame in walking up or down an obstacle that you're not comfortable riding. But there is a lot of shame in creating you know, a chicken line when there wasn't one in the first place. That's just that's poor form. So we're talking about some of these issues, and, and for a lot of beginners, they may not understand that, right? They may think that it is okay to build an alternate line when they can't get around something, or they're not sure if a tree is intentionally left in the trail to make it more difficult, or if it's one that's just fallen and needs some maintenance. So whose job is it to educate riders on proper trail etiquette? I mean, in golf, 
you can take classes where they teach you about replacing your divot and that kind of thing. But how do mountain bikers find out sort of the rules of the trail for? Well, I would say, you know, a lot of it falls on the individual rider to educate themselves. But who provides that education? For one, we've written tons of resources uh, on all the things we've discussed already. We've written resources on, you know, best practices for riding with, you know, without damaging the trail. We've talked about etiquette with other trail users, something we haven't even discussed in this podcast yet. Uh, we've talked about leave no trace ethics. We've talked about how to maintain a trail and who to work with to maintain your trail. And so I think if you're listening to this and you don't know these things, run a few searches on our site and then start reading. So that will help you immensely. One of the tricky issues is when you talk about like, creating alternate lines or like doing trail maintenance, like whose responsibility that is, that can be tough to know sometimes. So if you're riding a trail system and you think there's a trail issue, instead of like just modifying the trail on your own, I would encourage you to try to discern if there's a local trail building group that is in charge of that trail and get in touch with those people and see, you know, if you can get involved in like helping update the trail. Generally speaking, you know, if you don't know who's, job it is to like maintain and modify the trail then it's probably not your job to be like moving rocks around (laughs) you know cutting a tree that just fell down yesterday i mean that's one thing but even that i'm not entirely clear on like the legality of that in the forest you know like moving forest resources uh, without a permit is illegal but it's hard to determine exactly when it is and is not an issue yeah that's a good point greg don't mess with people's trail work. They take that stuff very seriously. So <laughs> don't don't take it upon yourself to modify a trail if you don't know what's going on. Yeah. I think, too, it's, it's our job as experienced riders to educate others on proper trail etiquette. I mean, if you see somebody out at the trail and they're riding around a puddle, maybe. I mean, maybe if it's a, it's a really big deal, you might want to say something. Or definitely if you see somebody tr- attempting to modify a trail, it's our job, I think, to tell people you're not supposed to do that and sort of educate them on the spot. Okay, so finally, mountain biking is never going to be zero impact. No matter what, trails are going to get damaged over time by us riding them over and over. So how can we make up for the damage that we cause by riding on a daily basis and riding, you know, really quite considerately? Volunteer, for one. So attend work parties. I know most local organizations will have typically a monthly work party. So the same day every month, they'll have people out to work on the trail for a few hours. So attend one of those. Donate to your local trail building organization or a park that you ride a lot that you feel you know, you, you want to give back to. Help new riders. As, as Jeff and Greg mentioned, if, you're, if you see something out there that someone's Riding inappropriately, I don't know if that's like right. a dick. Yeah, riding like a dick. You know, be courteous, but help help new riders learn along the way. I would say. And then if you're out for a casual ride, pick up trash. You know, if you see something on the trail, stop and pick it up. If you're not in a hurry, and like I mentioned earlier, clear limbs and that kind of thing, stuff in the trail. And any little bit you can do to to help out. I've had people email me before and say, hey, I want to get involved in trail work. I want to help maintain the trails and build new trails, but we don't have a local advocacy group. What should I do? And honestly, my response to them is, well, it sounds like you need to start a local advocacy group because if nobody, if there isn't one already, you know, who's going to do it if not you? So sometimes it just takes 
people willing to step up and say, hey, I'm going to organize this. I'm going to get people together and we're going to you know, make a difference in our local area. And maybe you need to be the catalyst to make that happen. If you have a local group, great. But if not, I encourage you to start one. Yeah. And I would say I really like what Aaron said about just if you see something that's easy to fix, like picking up trash or clearing away limbs, definitely go for it. And also, I would say for the people, you know, I mean, there are people out there that they just either don't have time, which I mean, that's hard to believe. If you have time to mountain bike, then you should have time to work on trails or you can substitute some of that time. But some people just hate trail work, right? I mean, it's not it's not for everybody. It's not a glamorous thing. So if, if you just like have a real problem with doing trail work, you can give money. You can always give money to right. clubs and they're going to find a way to use it and, you know, help maintain the trails. Again, I bring it back to the golf example. You know, when you play golf, you pay greens fees every time you go out. I mean, mountain biking is not that way. It's free for us to go out. But if we are able to give back some money, then that's going to ensure that the trails are going to be there forever and that someone can maintain them even if we can't. So if you'd like to learn more about this topic, be sure to check out singletracks.com and search for trail etiquette or Chris's article titled Stop Riding Like This. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Peace.